We love hearing from our audience, so send us an email at needtoknow at wilsoncenter.org. As you can see from our shows, we host a broad mix of expertise here at the Wilson Center. So maybe you have a burning foreign policy question you think we can answer, or an idea for a foreign policy topic we can cover. We'd love to hear from you. Need to know at wilsoncenter.org. Welcome to the Need to Know podcast from the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. I'm your host, Aaron Jones, bringing you the best nonpartisan information from our experts that you need to know. I'm joined today by Amy Austin Holmes, who is a Middle East fellow here at the Woodrow Wilson Center and is also a visiting professor at the Middle East Initiative at Harvard. And we're going to talk about Syria today and Turkey and the Kurds and everything going on in the Middle East. So this is going to be a conversation that runs a little longer than our normal podcast. So I'm going to split it up and we will have two conversations with Amy. Amy, thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me. So, Amy, this has been going on for a little while, and we haven't had anybody on the podcast yet to talk about it. And maybe that's a good thing, because now some things have settled down. Uh, The situation, although it is still fluid, maybe uh, we can understand some of the finer points of it. Help us understand where we are today. The president said that we're pulling out. Turkey invaded the Kurdish regions. The U.S. then goes in and kills high-value ISIS targets. There's talk of Turkish sanctions. And we don't appear to be pulling out. So catch us up. What has been going on? So you're right. So it seems more than a month ago, but it actually, because so much has happened, but it actually was just uh, one month ago, approximately on October 6th, when uh, President Trump and President Erdogan had this phone call where uh, Trump agreed to withdraw U.S. forces from a part of northern Syria. And on October 9, just a few days later, that's when Turkey launched this, you know, cross-border military operation into Syria. Um, And that has led to very quickly, already within the first uh, few days, and now it's been a month, um, we estimate approximately 200,000 people have been displaced. Mm. Um, So it's led to huge numbers of um, people fleeing from their homes Turkey, of course, says that they're going after the YPG, they're going after, you know, combatants, but in fact, it has affected the civilian population as well. That's something, and, you know, And who, is, who are YPG? So the YPG are the Kurdish component of the Syrian Democratic Forces, the SDF, uh, who we've been partnering with since mm-hmm. about 2015. They've been our main partner force in northern Syria to defeat the Islamic State. And... Um, you know, as my I've actually done a survey of the Syrian Democratic Forces. It was published here with the Wilson Center, where I showed how you know from 2015 until now 2019, the SDF has grown and expanded to now uh, include um, in the in the rank and file fighters. The majority of them are actually now Arabs. Um, so because I, when mm. they liberated cities like Raqqa, Dirazur, Manbij, Tapka from the Islamic State, those are predominantly Arab cities, and so they incorporated Arabs into the SDF. And so now it's a predominantly you know the rank and file are predominantly Arabs. Mm. And for example, the liberation of Baguz, which was this um, last city that was liberated. Uh, from the Islamic State back in March, uh, we believe 80% of the fighters there were Arabs. So I'm just pointing this out because 
unfortunately, you know, people still talk about the SDF or they talk about this conflict as one just involving the Kurds or we talk about them as a Kurdish force, but that's Mm -hmm. actually not accurate. So the, the leadership are still predominantly Kurds because it started out as this Kurdish, you know, armed group, the YPG, but the majority of the the rank and file are actually Arabs. And so it's not just a conflict between Turkey and the Kurds, but it's a conflict between Turkey and this diverse population in northeast Syria, which includes Arabs, it includes Christians, it includes there's a, a Syriac, a Syrian, Chaldean. Hmm. There are even some Armenians um, in northern uh, northern Syria. So when you say Arab, you're saying from they're Arabs from the community there in northern Syria. That's right. They're well, not coming from other areas of the Arab world. They're coming from mostly from Syria. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Because. You know, the, the SDF control approximately one-third of Syrian territory. I mean, so it's ju- it's the north and the east. Um, and so it extends all the way down to Deir Azur, uh, but also Raqqa, Tabqa, Manbij. And, you know, there are predominantly Arab cities that have... Um, and, and so that's why the SDF is now... I always, you know, emphasize that it's a multi-ethnic and mm-hmm. multi-religious force because you have Muslims, Christians, there are even some Yazidis. There's a very small Yazidi minority in, in Syria. They've I've also met Yazidis who've joined the SDF. Hmm. So the the diversity of that region of northern northeast Syria, it's reflected in the SDF, which is mm-hmm. also a diverse um, you know, fighting force. The the region directly along the border to Turkey, of course, historically, it's been predominantly Kurdish, um, and so they've been affected now by this uh, by this Turkish incursion. Um, yeah. So what is so what is Turkey trying to do there? Well, so for for months, the United States uh, had been negotiating with Ankara you know, and the SDF to try to find an agreement for uh, what they were calling a safe zone along the Syrian-Turkish border. And that was spearheaded by Ambassador James Jeffrey. He'd been negotiating between the SDF and Turkey to find an agreement that would be, you know, sort of agreeable to both sides. Um, Now, however, it's important to point out that Turkey had actually been demanding a buffer zone even well before that. If you go back to 2011, uh, former president, uh, Turkish President Abdullah Gül had already demanded a buffer zone in 2011. Hmm. So before you had uh, the SDF, before you had the YPG, before you had this autonomous region, you know, led by predominantly a Kurdish-led, you know, autonomous region. So you know, it's just important to point out that this is something that Turkey's been demanding for a long time and why, you know, I think it's actually really about Turkey just extending their border 30 kilometers to the south. Um, and they say that they're going after the YPG, which they see as identical to the PKK. Mm-hmm. Right? And PKK is? The Kurdistan Workers Party, which was formed in 1978 inside Turkey. Uh, one of the founders was Abdullah Öcalan. Um he actually left Turkey and spent about 20 years living in Syria. So Hafez al-Assad had you know, given him sanctuary as a leader of the PKK inside Syria. And so and then he was, you know, after 20 years, he was kicked out of Syria and captured. And now he's being held in a prison uh, in, in Turkey in isolation. But um, <clears throat> in any case, Turkey believes that the YPG and the PKK are identical and this is why they say they have to, uh, you know, destroy this uh, 
this region, this, this you know strip of land in the north, because they see it as a place where the the YPG is going to, um, you know, that threaten threaten Turkey. Um, but my point is that they've been demanding this even, you know, well before that, well before you had this, you know, autonomous administration that was set up. So this this gets to the obvious distinction that not all Kurds are just Kurds, which I think sometimes in I think the American mind, it's it's hard to keep track of the different groups. Um, so help us to understand kind of who in the in the Kurdish sense are allies to the US uh, and who are the ones that you know we're, we're kind of wary of and who Turkey is I guess you said Turkey kind of lumps them together um, help us to understand the distinctions well the um, so the the YPG as I said is you know the Kurdish component of the SDF and they however have been working with um, with Arabs, Christians, Yazidis, there's even a small Turkmen minority inside Turkey that's part of the SDF. And what I, you know, think is extremely worrying is that you have some of these Christian communities in um, in northern Syria, for example, around Tel Temer, that's a historically Assyrian uh, Christian community that was targeted by the Islamic State back in 2015. And there were, I think at that time, like 220 Assyrians were kidnapped by the Islamic State. Um, both the State Department and the National Security uh, Council spokesperson condemned that. And now what we're seeing is that Turkey is aligning with some rebel groups, um, including Ahrar al-Sharqiya, um, and they're using those Turkish-backed groups in this uh, intervention now in Syria. And those groups are w- targeting some of these exact same regions that were targeted by the Islamic State in 2015. So that is uh, that's very worrying now, because we're seeing essentially this Christian community that was targeted by the Islamic State back in 2015 now being targeted by Turkish-backed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Islamist groups. Um, now, to answer your question, you know, Turkey does not distinguish between the YPG and the PKK. They say they are identical, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm getting the sense from what you're telling us that the YPG is more moderate. Well, yeah. Is it and, safe to characterize it that way? Yeah, and the YPG is, you know, part of the SDF, which has been fighting against the Islamic State, not against Turkey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's okay. I mean, so they're they've been fighting, you know, within Syria to defeat the Islamic State, mm-hmm. um, and so they have, you know, that's been their entire, uh, you know, that that's what they've been doing for the past uh, five years now, and over eleven thousand members of the SDF were killed. Mm-hmm. You know, they've paid a huge price. I visited many of the cemeteries in the region. So we've had this kind of working relationship with the YPG. Right. Now right. the PKK, am I correct that they're on our terror watch list? That's correct. That's correct. Now the so it's important to point out here because when Manbij, for example, that's a city that's also under the control of the SDF, but it's uh, west of the Euphrates River, okay? Uh, Turkey had been demanding um, several years ago, you know, that their PKK in Manbij and wanted those, you know, PKK militants to leave Manbij. Um, who, and so they came up with a list of people that they said we we think these people are PKK and we want them to leave. And the U.S., you know, didn't actually um, agree with their list because they were like, well, actually, some of these are just Syrian Kurds who just. Mm-hmm. 
have joined the SDF, but they're not PKK. Like they have never, you know, trained in Kandil, for example, the Kandil Mountains, which is sort of where the PKK has some of their, um, you know, training academies. Hmm. And so there was a, you know, a vetting process or a negotiation where, uh, you know, they went through one by one individuals and said, look, this person's not PKK. They're just Kurdish, you know. Really? One and, by one? This well, that that was wow. one of the things that happened um, at the time of the Manbij uh, operations. And so this long list that Turkey had come up with was eventually whittled down to a relatively small number of people. Mm-hmm. And then those Kurds that, you know, Turkey insisted were PKK terrorists were had to leave Manbij, Right. But my point is that Turkey has never made any kind of a distinction like that now. So they, instead of saying, here's a list of people that we think are terrorists, can you please remove them from our border? Mm-hmm. They just say all of the YPG are terrorists and wow. all of the YPG should be removed. And they do not even distinguish, not only do they not distinguish between different Kurds, you know, Kurds who are, let's say, part of the PKK and Kurds who are not, they they also don't even distinguish between Arabs or Christians who also, you know, live there and are also part of the SDF. So, and I think they're doing this because it's not in Turkey's interest to say, um, you know, we acknowledge that some of the people that have been cooperating with the, uh, you know, that are part of the SDF are Arabs and Christians. And they, they just, you know, sort of try to characterize them in a very blanket, mm-hmm. you know, with a sort of blanket, uh, you know, accusation of all Mm -hmm. being terrorists and they all have to be removed and you know that's extremely problematic because you know i've met many of the people there uh including christians and arabs who you know they are not kurdish they do not even speak kurdish and Mm -hmm. and yet they're being essentially accused of being pkk i mean it's just absurd it's Hmm. completely absurd do you see what i mean and so and there are some christian communities they live like one mile from the turkish border two miles from the turkish border and so they're very close to the border and they, you know, some of these Christian communities are the actual descendants of people who survived the Armenian genocide. Mm-hmm. They're the descendants of those, you know, Christians who at the time of the Ottoman Empire, you know, fled uh, from the atrocities and the massacres that were being committed by the Ottoman uh, Turkish army at the time. Some Kurds also you know, were part of the Ottoman Empire and part of these, you know, groups at the time of the Ottoman Empire that were committing these atrocities. But the point is that, like, if you go and you speak to the Christian community there, they will tell you, you know, my grandfather or grandmother, you know, were persecuted, they fled from the Ottomans, and now again, they're facing again the same kind of threat from Turkey. And so it's, for me, it's just, um, it's really grotesque that, you know, we have now passed, the House of Representatives passed an Armenian genocide resolution, right, to condemn and recognize it as an Armenian genocide. At the very same time, we're having descendants of some of those Christian communities again threatened by by Turkey, including in some of the exact same locations. So um, Ras Al Ain is one of the regions, uh, one of the cities that Turkey and Turkish-backed rebel groups have now um invaded and essentially occupied. So they didn't get this whole strip of land that they were demanding, but they, they got a strip of land between Tel Abiyad and the Ras Al Ain hmm. that essentially was ceded to Turkey or where they were told, okay, you know, you can come in, but only stay between these two cities, Tel Abiyad and Ras Al Ain. 
But one of those cities, Ras Al Ain, if you look at a map, for example, of the where the Armenian genocide, the sites of the the, the locations where the actual massacres and deportations took place, Ras Al Ain is one of those places, and it is once again now, you know, under the control of of the Turkish military and Turkish backed rebels, and it's. Um, so I think it's just important to point out that there is, um, you know, if if we, you know, in the United States think that, um, you know, the Armenian genocide should be condemned and we recognize it as a genocide, then we should also be concerned about the current uh, situation um, with these uh, very vulnerable Christian communities. We're going to take a break right here, and we will have the remaining part of our conversation in the next episode. Uh, This is just so good that I just don't want to stop in the middle of this just for the sake of time. I want to make sure that we get everything in that we want to talk about. So we will be back with more with Amy Austin Holmes.